Most people, whether Christian or not, recognize the name Martin Luther. Martin Luther uh, was the monk who sparked the Protestant Reformation. And growing up under the weight of a medieval Catholic system of works, Martin Luther had something amiss in his heart. He had something amiss in his mind. And as a result, Luther often complained to God. He believed that God was angry with him over something that he could never attain. That God wanted this works righteousness of sorts, and Luther couldn't reach it. His inability to fulfill the ethical standards of God's law tormented him. There was no amount of fasting, no amount of prayer vigils, no amount of self-flagellation that could ease his fears about having to face God. In the midst of one of his despondent states, a spiritual father at an Augustinian monastery introduced young Luther to six words that altered history. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Although it took a while for those words to fully penetrate Luther's heart, once they finally took hold, this is what he said. I felt born again like a new man. I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. And so it was that the Protestant Reformation was born. And a central tenet of that Reformation were those six words. The just shall live by faith. Truth be told, a right understanding of those words, of that tenet of our faith, should remain the Christian's battle cry. Today, continuing in our series, we arrive to Habakkuk, and we look to the text where those six important words first appear. Turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 2. I will be reading the first four verses. Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is set for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Verse 1 highlights for us how we need to hear a word from God. Like for Luther, something was amiss in the heart of Habakkuk. In chapter 1, the prophet had learned that the Lord was going to use the Babylonians to overtake Judah. 
That was the means by which he was going to discipline his wayward people. Now Habakkuk agreed that Judah deserved judgment, but he could not reconcile why God would use an even more wicked people to bring that discipline about. As as a result, Habakkuk had complained to his God. And that is not unheard of in the biblical record. Godly men like Job and Jeremiah did the same thing. All it means is that something is amiss in our hearts and our minds that we cannot resolve. We face seasons in our lives of angst where we especially need to hear a word from God. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 16, through chapter 4, verse 16, that we often question God's working on earth. That we will all at times struggle to understand the question, why? But then Solomon suggests in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1, that we should also have a receptive attitude that goes to the house of God in order to stop and listen to what he would say. Scripture frequently tells us to wait upon the Lord. The psalmist declares in Psalm 27, verses 13 to 14, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Whenever we have questions, whenever we experience doubts, whenever we face difficulties, and who among us does that not characterize? Whenever that is true, let us embrace a spirit of watching and waiting. Let us quietly and patiently listen to God and allow him to speak to us from his word. That is precisely what Habakkuk determines to do in verse 1 of our text. The prophet says that he will set himself up on the watchtower to watch and wait for the Lord to provide an answer. This is not a literal reference to a physical citadel. Rather, it refers, is referring to a place of withdrawal. It's referring to a place of meditation. This is where Habakkuk is preparing his soul to hear from God. He is drowning out the world's distractions so as to patiently and quietly listen for the Lord's voice. So amid the uncertainty, amid the hurt, amid the confusion, where does Habakkuk go? He goes to hear from the Lord. And that's an image that brings to mind the words from the song that Laura opened our service with this morning. I'm finding myself in the midst of you, beyond the music, Beyond the noise, all that I need is to be with you and in the quiet, hear your voice. Word of God, 
speak. Some of us may face an uncertain or unsettling situation similar to Habakkuk's historical context. Some of you today may desperately need to hear a word from the Lord. You may be wondering, what is God doing? You may be asking yourself, why? In the midst of some hurt or circumstance. So what do we do? Again, what do we do when we are confused and grasping for God's ways? We go to him in prayer. What do we do? We plumb the depths of his word. What do we do? We sit under the proclaimed word of God. Habakkuk was to serve as God's spokesperson. And once the Lord gave insight to his prophet, it was Habakkuk's place to share God's word with his people. It is why Christians gather on the Lord's day under sound biblical preaching. It is why I would argue that the primary responsibility of the pastor is to watch and wait during the week for the Lord to speak. And when the Lord speaks, to then share what he has said to God's people. Habakkuk does not say that he will wait to see if God speaks. Habakkuk says he will watch to see what God speaks. And so when the Lord answers Habakkuk with a word, he tells the prophet plainly to write out the vision on tablets. Uh, that's up for debate precisely as to what it means. John Calvin suggests that Habakkuk wrote out the words in such big letters so that people running by them could not miss what he had said. That sentiment reminds me of how Brooke has put up scripture all over the walls of our home so that when you're walking by, you cannot miss what he has to say. C.F. Kyle, on the other hand, views this reference as figurative, not literal. He believes it was that the people were to cement the words in their hearts. I appreciate both perspectives. Don't you agree that we should set God's word before our eyes so that we hide it in our hearts? God's message was that the Babylonians were indeed coming and they would bring forth judgment on Judah. Habakkuk was called to make that message plain. Now, whether literal or figurative, the idea of engraving the vision on tablets of stone communicates the certainty of God's word. This past Wednesday night, we had a few friends over to our home, and as the evening was coming to a close, and the children had already gone to bed, and the four of us wrapped our arms around one another, and we began to pray. And Nikki 
prayed these words. Your word, Lord, can do anything but fail. I just want to say that again. Your word, Lord, can do anything but fail. Verse 3 in Hebrew literally ends, coming, it will come. It is a double emphatic. No one can thwart the will and the word of our God. It can do anything but fail. And since God's word is certain, best we all know what it says. Since God's word is certain, best we be prepared to share that word with others. Best we run with the gospel truth. The Protestant reformer Martin Luther did that. I am sure Martin Luther recognized that the word he had received from God was not just meant for him, but it was meant for the people. I am so sure of this because at 33 years of age, Luther wrote his famous 95 Thesis. It was a document stressing how human salvation comes through faith in Christ alone, not by our works. On October 31st, 1517, he reportedly nailed that document to the door of Wittenberg Castle Church so that all who would run by could read it. The just shall live by faith. It was a message made public to the people so that they might carve it as stone in their hearts. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is a word from God that we should all hear. It is a word that we desperately need. The way through the angst of our hearts and our minds is not by pulling ourselves up by our proverbial bootstraps. We are not going to be able to John Wayne our way through this life. The first half of Habakkuk 2.4 reads, Behold the proud, his soul is not right in him. We examined the heart of the proud last week when in the book of Nahum, the proud do not fear God. The proud practice all sorts of vices. The proud show no concern for the well-being of others. The proud believe somehow they can stand on their own. I am not sure if this part of verse 4 refers to the spirit that had overcome and become prevalent among the people of Judah, or if it were a precursor to the Babylonian oppressors. What I do know is that those who face final judgment on their own will do so without hope. But the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk and his fellow countrymen 
desperately needed to hear a word from God. And so the Lord tells them in verses 3 and 4 that things might not unfold in the manner that they prefer, not the way that they would play it out in their own minds, not how they might anticipate, but they must live by faith. They must trust who God is, and they must trust what God does. That the Lord has a plan to bring about his perfect promises for his people. A brief glimpse ahead in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, shows that God is a God of surpassing glory. That is who he is. And then at verse 20, God works all things out in accordance with his sovereign governance where he resides. That is what he does. So you and I, we must understand our position in the universe as it relates to God. He sits on his throne. We do not. The Lord works in mysterious ways beyond what we can sometimes see or what we can sometimes appreciate. Take John Flavel. He was a preacher in England during the 17th century. One Sunday morning before going to the pulpit, Flavel prayed fervently that someone, anyone, would come to know Jesus Christ under the preaching of his word. However, when that message had concluded and a call had been issued, no evidence existed that any such conversion occurred that morning. Another man named Luke Short grew up in Old England before moving to New England to become a farmer. Short lived to be 100 years old or more. And it was in the latter years of his life, still in good health, that Short realized he had yet to seek peace with God. That realization came about because he remembered a sermon he heard when he was 15 years old, a boy in old England. It was a sermon that John Flavel had preached that day when he had prayed that someone would be converted. Hmm. Some 85 years later, and God's purpose prevailed. Let us not question how and when our God moves. Let us just know that he does. The Lord's people can count on what the arrogant individual discredits. We live by faith in a God of surpassing glory and of sovereign governance. He is in control. I am not. 
David writes in Psalm 29.10, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. Whatever difficulty or uncertainty that we face, whatever heartache that is before us, God still presides over each and every situation. Psalm 29.11 then says that the Lord who sits enthroned over the flood gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. But someone here today may face a burdened soul similar to Habakkuk or Luther's and still wonder, how can my soul at last be at peace with God? Martin Luther was liberated through the Apostle Paul's words in Galatians 3, 10 through 11. It was this, the reference that Paul uses coming from Habakkuk 2, verse 4. And this is what Luther let take residence in his heart. I read it earlier in the service. I read it again now. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Curses everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. All of the things. Paul's friends, who among us have lived a perfect, sinless, stainless life? Cursed is he who has not lived by all of the law. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Isn't that a word we all desperately need? It is the gospel. It is the message we affirmed together when we sang Rock of Ages. Let's not sing lyrics and not pay attention to what they're saying. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, Lord, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. There is no single place at any point in the work of salvation where I can say, look, see what I have done. William Temple says, the only thing of my own that I can contribute to my redemption is the sin from which I need saving. Or as J.C. Ryle says it, a man brings nothing to God but a sinful soul. 
As to man's salvation, he gives nothing. He contributes nothing. He pays nothing. He performs nothing. Nothing. It's not baptism. It's not church membership. It's not walking an aisle. It's not the power of my will. The Lord's people can count on what the arrogant individual disbelieves. The just shall live by faith. I have no hope but the gospel. Again, how shall a man, a woman, a boy, a girl be saved? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so it is that I have resolved to preach Christ and Christ crucified, nothing else. I preach Christ and Christ crucified. That comes from Paul, and it applies to me. Simply to thy cross I cling. It is the word we desperately need. Carve it in stone. I am a sinner. I need God's grace. I can do nothing on my own but repent and by faith receive Christ. If you have not received Jesus, as Lord and Savior, today is the day. Get right with God through Christ. Pray with me. The hardest part, Lord, to preach. is knowing how often I fall short of even that which I proclaim. But the most joyful thing about preaching is that it truly does remind me that apart from Christ, I'm nothing, nothing. Give us Jesus. Holy Spirit, remind us of how sweet it is to trust in Christ. Go before us, Holy Spirit, I pray. Move as you would move. For the glory of our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. That is our song of response. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. If you have a decision to make today,
the altar is open. Let's stand together as we sing.